everyone! Welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours. We're your hosts, Cassie, Nathan, and Christian, here to take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on the university campus. Today, we're going to be exploring the topic of Bible translation and how, as Christians, we need to make sure we're studying God's Word responsibly. This is a really foundational skill for each of us to learn as we seek to understand the truth of what God is communicating to us. We believe that all of the original words of Scripture were thoroughly inspired by God, and that over the years, many faithful Bible translators have done an excellent job of helping us get as close to the original meanings of those texts as possible in the English language. But because none of us fluently speak Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek with the nuanced understanding of the original authors of Scripture, we still have some work to do on our end to understand the truth of God's Word. That's what we're going to talk about today. We don't have enough time today to go totally into detail about what the translation process looks like, Um, so we're going to focus more in on how we can use the English translations that we have available to us responsibly. Um, We're going to take a brief moment to outline what the primary approaches to translation actually are so that we can be more specific as we talk about this. Um, They're kind of a spectrum, and so the, the places where we put things put the translations on that spectrum might differ depending on how you're thinking about this. Um, But we're going to use these categories for our discussion. Um, So the first approach that we're going to talk about, um, we're calling formal equivalence, also known as word-for-word translations. So these translators are trying to prioritize making their text as literally and structurally similar to the original as possible. Um, These are translations like the NASB would be a good example of this. And then the ESV and the KJV tend more towards this side um, when you're thinking about it on a spectrum. Um, So what are some of the pros and cons of this approach? I mean, I think the pros in this approach is there's a sense of like, you know, in this spectrum on the word for word side, people are really trying to privilege the text and the Bible and say like, I don't care how much the Bible makes sense to us today the job of the translator is not to make sense of the Bible for today. The job is to help somebody take it from one language into another language so that somebody can spend their time trying to figure out what it says. So, so there's a sense of like the translator is trying to get out of the way in a sense. Like the translator doesn't want to insert anything. They're, they're just saying like what it says in the Bible, I want to take each word and I want to give the reader today that word without my my opinions or my thoughts so that's mm-hmm. that's really one of the strengths yeah oh on the weakness side though um on the weakness side of that it's really clunky like you can tell like like me saying like they're trying to get out of the way there's there's just a lot of ways that the that it doesn't sometimes the way that something's worded or the structure of the Hebrew Bible or the Greek Bible, it just doesn't flow or doesn't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, or there might be words or like idioms that don't make sense um, to us in our modern day. And mm-hmm. so there's there's a lot of ways where it can be really hard to understand when you really do a word for word um, translation. Yeah, which is definitely a question of degree, right? But yeah. sometimes the cultural context actually is really important for understanding what the scripture is saying. Yeah. Okay, so the second approach that we're talking about is called dynamic equivalence, which is also known as a thought-for-thought translation. These translators prioritize communicating the basic meaning of the text and making it easy to understand in contemporary English. The NLT is one example of this kind of translation. 
We'll talk about paraphrases of the Bible a little bit later, but they would also be in this category. So what are some of the pros and cons of this approach? So the biggest pro I would say to this uh, this approach of translations translation is that it's readable. It's it's very understandable to the the time that we're in. They tend to uh, my observation is is that they tend to offer new translations more regularly because our actual English language moves a lot more dynamically. So so while the um, Hebrew and the Greek and such all meant are uh, the Hebrew and the Greek that the Bible was originally written in, pretty much the meaning of those words don't change. Like it's pretty static. It was written at a time in a place for a group of people. And the Greek means that our language shifts a little bit. So we start using words in different ways than we did 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 years ago. And so now the translation doesn't really make sense now because we use the word differently. Uh, I'm trying to think of, um, trying to think of an example of this. So, so like the word awe, for example, the word awe, actually, when we think of uh, the word awe, we mean like wonder, or like amazement. Well, actually, uh, a number of ye- hundreds of years ago, the word awe actually m- could have meant that, but it could also be fear inducing. So it, the, 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 our language has actually changed a little bit over time. And so, but we don't use the word to mean fear inducing anymore. So it wouldn't be necessarily appropriate to use that word in certain instances, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's very readable, it's very approachable. The negative to it is, I would say, is that uh, I, and I, f- I feel this when I read the NIV, um, or uh, not the NIV, sorry, when I read, uh, NLT and uh, other uh, uh, translations, I find it very difficult sometimes to catch themes that are actually present in the text. Mm -hmm. Because when you have a word for word translation, you can, they're more likely to translate that Greek word the same into the same word every time that Greek word appears. And so you can see, hey, Paul has used this word again mm-hmm. and again. And so you catch the theme, whereas in uh, 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 paraphrasing or something like the NLT, they'll like keep changing the word to fit the language that they've used in all the other words that they've translated. So so if they're translating a sentence, they have to, and it, that sentence has a dozen words, they translate each word, but the word that they translated at the beginning might actually determine what makes sense to translate the next word into, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, there's just an, the negative is is that it, you might miss actually what the the original author had intended to to uh, uh, confer upon his audience mm-hmm. to communicate to his audience. Um, but it's very readable. It's very easy to understand, and you can pick up. Um, a lot of useful things still in an NLT, something like an NLT translation, especially if you're very unfamiliar with biblical language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like as they're making it readable to us, we might be missing some of the meanings that were in the original language or like it might be more interpreted in that kind of a translation when you actually read it in the English. Um, the third approach we're talking about is called optimal equivalence, and that tries to strike a balance between the first two that we've talked about. So. Right, if we have the word for word on like the far left side and the thought for thought on the far right side, they're trying to strike a balance in the middle. Um, These translators are trying to communicate in a way that's both as accurate to the original text in form and meaning as possible, 
um, but also makes as much sense in the contemporary language as possible. Um, so the NIV would be an example of this kind of translation. Um, so I'll talk about some of the pros and cons of that. I think a pro is that, you know, they're trying to preserve as much as they can, <laughs> right? In, in a way that we can read and understand and use in our everyday life um, without totally losing what the, what the original text was saying. Um, but a con is that they're, you know, these translators can't really do both, right? They're trying, but you're not going to get the most, like, accurate in form and, um, and structure as the thought or as the word for word ones. And you're not going to get as much of the, like, cultural meaning maybe as the thought for thought ones. So they're trying to do both, but that means they're not the best at both compared to some of the other translations. Okay, so now that we have those categories to work with, uh, let's move forward and talk about some of the ways we can take that and work with it and apply it as Christians reading the Bible. Um, first, I think it's helpful to mention, there's a lot of ways that the Bible can be beneficial to us as Christians. Uh, we can read through the Bible at a normal pace, or we can try to memorize sections of it. And when we're doing those kinds of activities, choosing one translation can be really helpful for consistency. Um, but we also need to spend time studying the Bible, slowing down, taking time to really understand it, asking questions, and meditating on it. And as pastors, we believe that when you're doing Bible study, which involves more interpretation, looking at multiple translations of the Bible and reading them in comparison with each other is really important for understanding the text. So we're talking about taking um, Bible translations from these different approaches and comparing them and looking at what the same section says in different translations. Um, why is this practice helpful for us? Well, I think I think this practice of, of going to many different um, translations is really helpful because, um, you know, the word for word one and the cultural one or the optimal equivalents, like they're all trying to achieve different things. And so um, it's really important to try to get a sense of what what's going on in the text. So like, can I give you a little example from outside of the Bible? Like, mm -hmm. just translation is incredibly difficult. So, um, you know, translation is definitely not like math, where, like, you have a, a problem and it's like 2 plus 2 equals 4. How do I translate that in Spanish? Dos plus dos equals cuatro. Okay, that's how it is. Plus like, and equals or well, something. Well, I don't even I know. It's like, I know, it's, I know, I I'm, not like, I know I'm not right there. Sorry. <laughs> You know, my Spanish-speaking friends are out Oof. there. Sorry for getting that. But, you know, you want to translate um, these ideas. So so here, I'll give you an example that I learned in college about translation that's very hard. And so this isn't even just a Bible thing. This is like translating any text, you know. So there's this poem in French about a, um, a frog that would hop from lily, lily pad to lily pad, and he's walking, he's going around in a pond. And, you know, you translate that into English as a poem and you use the frog and the lily pad and stuff. It just comes off as a really nice, like, kid's poem. It's mm -hmm. just kind of enduring. And you're happy like, frog. Yeah, happy frog in the pond. Oh, that's super fun. Well, it turns out in, in French culture, the frog is like a symbol for, like, promiscuous men. Like, kind of like a, like a, you know, somebody who's just like, I'm going to try to sleep with as many women as I want. So, so all of a sudden now you can think about a frog hopping from a lily pad to a lily pad and you're like, 
well, this is not a kid's poem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like this isn't. So, but if you translate it word for word, how, how do you translate that poem into an American or English culture accurately? Mm-hmm. You have to either find a different symbol than a frog mm-hmm. or you have to, um, you have to just drop the symbols mm-hmm. and just talk about, it's about a guy. <laughs> like you just have to destroy yeah. the poem. In essence, you have to destroy the poem to really get it, or you have to translate the poem and lose the actual meaning. So if you can imagine like how difficult that would be to do, like with that poem, you can think about how hard it is in some ways to like translate really ancient ideas from a totally different culture into today. So like another one, for instance, is in the Old Testament, it talks about Leah having weak eyes. Um... So if you go in word-for-word word translation, it says, Leah has weak eyes. And there's a lot of Bible translations that say that. Well, it, that's a euphemism, an ancient euphemism for ugly. Mm-hmm. Like, you could think, like, makes the eyes weak. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so, so a lot of your more optimal equivalent ones or even dynamic equivalent um, sections are going to say, and she was ugly or she wasn't mm-hmm. pretty, you mm-hmm. know? Because they interpret that idiom for us. But if you go word for word, it's not going to make sense. So, you know, you don't want to be telling people, like you can imagine, like if you use multiple translations that from across the spectrum, you know, if you only use word for word and you're doing a Bible study, you're going to say, man, I wonder what that would be like having a weak eyed. I wonder if Jacob had to like help Leah walk up the rocks and stuff. Like, I wonder how, you know, she couldn't see well, you know. Well, no, she was really ugly, and which mm-hmm. makes a lot more sense in the context mm-hmm. period, you know. And so, then you, but if you broaden your horizon from the word to word, and you see, oh, whoa, all these other translations say she was ugly. All of a sudden, now I've got a different sense of what it means. So, um, or in another sense, uh, sorry, I know this is kind of a long answer, but <laughs> on the other side, sometimes you might read something in the. Um, like maybe there's a really hard text that doesn't make sense um, in a word for word, and then you read it in the NLT or something like that, and it makes complete sense. Um, our tendency would be like, oh, the NLT got it right. Mm. But the better thing we would think would be like, oh, the NIV and the ESV and you know the NASB, they're, it's all unclear. Well, if I'm only reading the NLT, it's like super clear on what is being said. But if I go and read these other translations and there's a lot of differences and it's like kind of clunky it means that the people in the nlt made a interpretive decision Mm -hmm. and so what that means is oh like that's how they're interpreting this but if i want to really know what it's saying i need to go to the tension of these word for word things and Mm -hmm. think Mm -hmm. oh this there's some kind of complicated question that I need to wrestle through, mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's how the that's how the spectrum can be really helpful mm-hmm. as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just kind of going off that. Yeah, the assumption I think in our culture is that effective communicators are right, mm-hmm. and that's not the, always the case. Actually, right. in in many forms of communication, actually, there's been, but like there's there's uh, a tension that exists between other translations and really that that ambiguity that might be there in all those texts actually could be like a deep sense of like faithfulness like i can't just like 
make sense of it mm-hmm. because it's because of whatever reason I have to be faithful with what the text is actually saying. And so in some ways we should look at those more confusing I would say, I would say mm-hmm. we should look at those more confusing texts as actually being more honoring potentially towards right. what the mm-hmm. text That's is saying. Right. Not to say that the NLT is necessarily bad, what they're just they're trying to help their reader be able to move through the task, text and maybe help them understand a lot of the uh, a lot of the Bible. And yeah. 90% of the time it's totally fine. Um, what the NLT does. Or they've made one good choice out of several possible good choices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so, and that's another good way. They may have picked one of three possible ways to do, to, to translate mm-hmm. something. They picked one of three. Whereas the other ones were like, oh, we're not going to really pick one of the three. We mm-hmm. might lean a little bit more towards one. Yeah. But it's so unclear that we can't really commit. Right. And so they, they, and they, um, I think in some level, like they are like, Hey reader struggle. Mm-hmm. Like That's right. we want you, like we're being honest with you. This is hard struggle. Mm-hmm. And we, we wanted to honor the text and we wanted to honor the reader by, yeah. by not just giving you an easy answer. Yeah. So I think what we've said so far is like, if you read these different translations in parallel, you start to see the choices that have been made. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say like that choice was the right one, but you want to know as the reader, oh, this was a choice. Mm-hmm. And then that helps you actually interpret the Bible mm-hmm. and think for yourself as part mm-hmm. of the process. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing I would say is like, we don't need to be afraid of that. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. the Bible's lying to us. Mm-hmm. It means that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. We have some work to do in bridging the cultural understanding of the people at the time and the way that language has changed over time. And those are just realities. They're not things that we need to be afraid of. It, it doesn't mean like the message of salvation has been lost in Bible translation. There's mm-hmm. so much that's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does mean that on some of the more like nuanced questions, we do have to do some work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like as a person, like I, I like to, I don't know, don't think higher of me than I than you should. But I, I like I like read like I bring the Greek Bible to like church on Sundays. You know, like I try to translate all the texts that I hear, like or everything I preach, I try to read it in Greek first. And so as somebody who's like kind of amateur Greek scholar, um, I would say like, man, I'm so glad I can read Greek because it's like, whoa, it's such a great thing. Like I just get the get the I get the straight dope, so to say. Um, and so there's like some some ways where I'm like, oh man, everyone needs to know Greek. But then when it really came down to, when it comes down to it, like I've, I've been so impressed with like Bible translators, pretty much NIV, ESV. Those those two are, are really close. Like we put it in the in the word for word side because it leans that way. But the ESV. The ESV, but they're both kind of right around that. Mm-hmm. optimal equivalence area that we said, but the word, but the ESV kind of leans, yeah, the <laughs> spectrum, but the ESV kind of lean, does lean a little more towards the word for word, but man, those two are, or the NLT, you just got brilliant people doing these translations. And so just being somebody that reads those things, like in terms of giving you confidence, um, mm-hmm. man, a lot of these translations are just brilliant mm-hmm. and people, it's like, I'm really impressed by mm-hmm. how people choose different words for these mm-hmm. things. And so, mm-hmm. um, and so like 
but with that, you know, as I think another another reason why it's a good idea to read broadly is because you don't, you know, maybe maybe you read in one translation like the NLT and one word really sticks out to you and all of a sudden you start building this whole man, I think God just really spoke, you know, hit me with that word and then you start kind of reading into the whole text and you mm. like develop something. But if you were to read another translation, you'd see, oh, that word isn't there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you go to the, yeah. the Greek, you realize, oh, that word isn't there. And it was yeah. just a way of them like embellishing, not not in a bad way, but just kind of flowing the idea in the NLT. And so it's just a way of like checking your own enthusiasm mm-hmm. and making sure that you're not blowing up something in one translation to a... Mm-hmm. degree that it shouldn't be mm-hmm. blown up you know like kind of realizing oh this is just a way for us to help understand this but it's not really the main part mm-hmm. of this text maybe it's mm-hmm. like a underlying idea but it's not the foundational part and so yeah i help i think it helps you get a good idea of what the emphasis should be um in a scripture so mm-hmm. that's really good i think um another reason to do a, uh, read other translations is um all the people that translate these things are very, very intelligent people. And so you're like able to gain knowledge from like many, many different sources from people who are um, very, just very educated and have dedicated their lives Mm -hmm. to translating the Bible. Um, And I would go even as far to say like reading even older translations like the KJV or the Wycliffe um, translations. It's like, which you might feel like, oh man, that's from like the 1800s. It's like, but these guys were like very dedicated and really faithfully tried to translate the text and you can learn something from them because these are, they're believers too. And there's, um, wisdom to be had from believers of the past and things like that. So I can't remember if it was Wycliffe or Tyndale. Um, but one of them translated the Bible into English very very long time ago like 1500s 1400s and the catholic church was really like it needs to be in latin it can't be in any other language but there's this feeling a lot of bible scholars of the time were saying we got to get it into common people's vernacular and uh they one of them they killed one of the two i can't remember which one they killed and then one of them died a natural death and a hundred years after he was dead, they so opposed what he did, they dug up his bones and burned them. Shoot. <laughs> As a statement of condemnation. Mm-hmm. So so I guess that's all to say, when you're saying like these are strong Christians of the past, like that translated this for us, th- these these are just heroes mm-hmm. of the faith mm-hmm. who like and and all these Bible translations, even in the modern day, many of them they see it as like a sacred duty mm-hmm. and something that they're like, I would, I would die mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. my translation. Like not, not, not about their words, but they're just so convicted that God has called them to this mission mm-hmm. that they're ready to pay a cost. And that God's word is for everyone. It's for everyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I think it's easy for us to forget that because we have phones and can look at, you know, mm. 50 different translations in English. Um, but you know, in a lot of cultures, there isn't a Bible available in their language still, even today, um, or in, you know, situations of persecution, 
where it's really hard to have a Bible because it's illegal. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we can take that for granted that we can, you know, just pull it up our phones and be like, oh, wow, I can look at all these different translations and compare. And that does give us an edge in trying to understand and think for ourselves in reading the Bible, but it's not something to take for granted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's move on and we'll talk about paraphrases since I mentioned that earlier. Um, so these are like free translations of the Bible. That might be a way to think about it. Uh, they go a step further than other translations in the thought for thought category. And so where the forms of translations we talked about earlier typically start with ancient documents and translate from there, the authors of paraphrase versions often start with another English translation of the Bible and then put it in their own words, often using more contemporary language and taking more liberties with the text. This can lead to a version of the Bible that's highly readable in contemporary English, but is also another step removed from what God originally communicated. So one example of this would be The Message by Eugene Peterson, which is still pretty popular today. Uh, Another version that is becoming increasingly popular is called The Passion Translation. Um, And I did some research on this before we did our podcast episode. If you look at their website, uh, The Passion is marketed as a balanced translation that's appropriate for serious Bible study and teaching because it's based on ancient texts. Um, But as far as I can discern, um, I was looking and like the main author who wrote this has minimal background in interpreting scriptural documents. And then some of the translation choices that have been made go against the majority consensus of Bible scholars. We can't really tell who the other people are involved in creating the Passion Translation. Um, So it looks like in the final version, there are some words there that the original Bible text or a lot of other versions of the Bible aren't using. So that's just something to be curious about. Um, So for those reasons, I would include it in this category as a paraphrase rather than some of the other categories we talked about earlier. Let's talk about how we can use these versions responsibly. Um, What might paraphrase versions be helpful for? Like clearly they exist and people enjoy them, so what might they be good for? And what are some of the dangers that we should be aware of in using paraphrase versions for Bible study or for teaching God's word? Uh, I would kind of put these almost in the commentator, like almost as a Bible commentary more than it is like a Bible translation. What's a Bible commentary? I was getting there. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, a Bible commentary, and this is very, like this goes, there's been commentators for centuries, so this is not a new thing, Um, but essentially what they are, um, commentaries on the Bible are, look very differently. Uh, but they are usually a person's, um, in, I don't want to say, not their translation, but their interpretation and their study of the text has led them to think certain things about what the text is saying. Hmm. So some commentators, one very old, uh, very well-known one is Matthew Henry. If you read Matthew Henry's commentary on the Bible, which is really long, it's longer than the Bible, I think. Hmm. Um Uh, He spent his life doing it, and he kind of goes through every verse, every book of the Bible, and he's like, hey, this is what I think the Bible is is saying through these things, and he's developing messages and things like that. And it's out of a very learned position. For Matthew Henry, it's out of study of uh, ancient... um, ancient history and uh, out of just a wide knowledge of the Bible itself and things like that. And he writes just his thoughts on what this passage is saying. Um, 
the the message translate the the message commentary or I don't know what we're calling it, but the message <laughs> paraphrase, paraphrase the message paraphrase I would say is just a very quick commentary. Most mm-hmm. commentaries are quite long, so there's a uh, John Stott is another very well known commentator, and he has a book on First John, and it First John is like I don't know maybe eight pages long, and his book is like two hundred three hundred pages long. John Stott's pa- book on first john is 200 pages long Mm -hmm. the message is a a commentary that is about the same number of pages as the bible itself (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's so it's just a really really fast moving commentary on the bible and if you approach it as a commentary it can be actually really informative and very insightful um but understanding it's like it's uh, a step removed or or just um it's a vant- an individual's vantage point on the text, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can be valuable on that level. But even I've read commentaries and I'm like, I don't know about that. You know, and you have to read it with that understanding that it's not like the word of God. It's a person's vantage point on the word of God, which is totally fine. That's actually a lot of how... Christians should be engaging in the Bible, I think, is like people trying to understand the text and developing their sense of the text and what the text means. Um, preaching, in some ways, I would say is, well, uh, preaching, in some ways, I would say is a commentary. Mm-hmm. There's good preaching, there's bad preaching, and it's usually based on how well the person does to sticking to the text sure. uh, itself. And so mm-hmm. that's that's what I would say about these, the, the message paraphrase. And, yeah. And I, I think I think those are great thoughts. So I think the idea, like you know, and, and literally the word paraphrase, it means like, like, um, like if you take a phrase and then you kind of like say it in your own words. So mm-hmm. I mean, what what Nathan's saying is like somebody's taking the Bible and they're rehashing it in their own words, you know, and and that's why he's saying it's like a commentary. It's like this mm-hmm. idea of, oh, it's like like Eugene Peterizing the <laughs> Bible, right? I mean, that's what it, it com- yeah. that's what it, the message is, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, kind of going back to something I said earlier, you know, this spectrum um, from, you know, word to word to optimal equivalence to dynamic equivalence, even into the paraphrase, it's, it's a question of who are you privileging? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, you know, on the word for word side of the spectrum, you're privileging the ancient text. You're saying like, I don't care if it makes sense to a modern day reader. I want to get every word as close as possible to what the text says. And I don't even care if it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense because it's in your language, yeah. but not necessarily anything else. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, or even I'll I'll make a, this sentence can be really awkward and mm-hmm. I'm fine with that because mm-hmm. who cares, you know? Um, so, so there's that sense where it's like, um, that's where the word for word would be. But as you go further down the spectrum, you know, you go to the, um, you know, closer to the optimal equivalence, you're kind of starting to go with, oh, the ideas, the phrases, the idioms, let's, let's unpack those. So they're intelligent to intelligible to the modern day person. Mm-hmm. And then you go to idea for idea, or even close to that paraphrase idea where you're like, huh, how could this relate? How do we make sure that the modern day person's going to understand the idea? Mm-hmm. And then they start taking complex ideas and trying to like smooth them out for people to understand. And in the paraphrase, it's saying, what do I think will be the most pastoral mm-hmm. way to read this text? 
So, so it's, it's just whole thing. So, so a couple ways to spot a paraphrase, you know, Cassie mentioned two, two of them right there. But if you're ever reading a Bible and you're like, I wonder if this is a paraphrase or what kind of translation this is, a way to spot a paraphrase would be one that was like, whoa, this feels like it was written to me. Mm -hmm. Like, and I don't mean in a spiritual sense, like, oh, God read my mail and this text like hit me. I mean, like, oh, this is engaged. Like, this is like... Like into our context. Yeah, it's like into our context. They talk about like, maybe even like... TVs. TVs or something. (laughs) But like, if they, you know, if it's like... He had a vision. It's translated on the telly. (laughs) On the telly. Well, like, I think in the... the, I remember one, one passage in the message is like, Oh, you know, like, like loose women or like, Mm. you know, like it's kind of like, like ultra descriptors that are, are like kind of give word pictures that are Mm. like, well, this seems like something that I would read in a fiction story, you know, Mm. like something like the adjectives work in a way that are like, this is packaged kind Mm. of like for a modern marketplace reading Mm -hmm. that's not really in the bible i mean these were all letters or these were all like they and there's a lot of like propriety about how what you can say what you can't so if you feel like it's like well this is this sounds like modern day writing that's not the bible you know that's that's probably (laughs) a paraphrase you know um another way to tell is like you know i think if you put the passion translation um passion paraphrase up to like something like the NIV or ESV, it's mm-hmm. on average one third longer mm-hmm. than than the other version. So if you are like, whoa, if you were to hold the Passion Bible, you'd be like, this is heavier. This is longer. Mm-hmm. Why is this so much longer? It's because a lot is injected in. So typically a shorter, the shorter thing is to be trusted when it comes to a Bible translation. It means that it's more efficient. It's more trying to or it's maybe not to be trusted, but it's more closer to a word for word. Mm-hmm. Longer mm-hmm. is more like a paraphrase. Yeah. So, so those are a couple ways to spot those mm-hmm. things, um, and those are some just good principles to think yeah. about there. I think what you were saying about the the idea of like themes as being a good way to spot it is what I notice about the Passion Translation. Like, kind of, you know, it's called the Passion Translation because they're trying to highlight God's passionate love and his care for his people, which is true of God, um, but it's not necessarily referred to as often and as explicitly as it appears in that, in the paraphrase. So Mm -hmm. that's something to think about, Um, which, you know, reading paraphrases can offer you a different perspective. There is something about the message, like being really confrontational (laughs) in its, in its way of speaking, like, oh, wow. Okay. It's trying to wake me up to what the scripture would have meant in that time. I think that can be helpful. I just don't think it should be the only thing that you're reading, right? Like if you're only reading a paraphrase, you may not be getting what the Bible actually says. Um, So it can help highlight different ideas and things, but definitely in the translation process, like because it's that extra step removed from either the original text or, um, well, really mostly the original words, like it's a lot easier for authors to inject their own ideas and perspectives and theology in there. So you just have to be really aware of that when you're reading it and think about how you use it responsibly. Yeah. We were talking about The Chosen just even before mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. came in here. The Chosen is a like 
a kind of like a mo- like a mini series that they're do- that somebody's making right now on Jesus life and we've been me and Cassie have been watching it not together but we mm-hmm. talk about it a lot and we, anyway and I'm really enjoying it it's yeah. a really great show um, I'd encourage anybody to like download the app and, and watch that you can also watch it on YouTube it's free it's free it's it's incredible but it I can tell you for sure it definitely isn't how Jesus' life went down like it's basically a, an imaginative retelling of the story of Jesus mm-hmm. and about how did Jesus marry, marry Magdalene, whatever. So that is an imaginative retelling. And it says a lot about the content of Jesus and it, it teaches us things that he teaches, but it's highlighting certain parts. And just how Cassie was talking about the different themes highlighted in these paraphrases, it's not unlike a dramatic retelling mm-hmm. that you might see on The Chosen. Um, it's maybe a little more connected to the Bible. But ultimately, it's like somebody is highlighting something that they're really getting out of um, the Bible, and they're like speaking it into today. So, mm-hmm. so that's that's a really good way. You know, it's it's similar to the Chosen or a miniseries yeah, or something. That's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, are there any final thoughts about how we should approach different Bible translations as Christians? Um, actually, I have one that didn't fit into these other earlier questions, so I want to talk about it. Um, something that I heard as a helpful principle is like actually newer translations can be more accurate um, because we're discovering more original ancient documents, um, whether or not they're actually the Bible, right? Um, but as we discover more ancient documents, that helps us be more specific about words and what they meant in that mm-hmm. time. Um, so that actually can be a helpful principle for us. Like the newer NIV, the 2011 one, might be more accurate than the previous edition. Yeah. Well, and we just discovered, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls were just discovered in the last century, and they've just been really um, worked through. And, and, you know, people are like, what? How did that take so long for them to be worked through? I mean, th- these, these are documents that if you handle, they'll break, you know? So, I mean, it's like, it takes a lot of work. And even just to, like, s- get them all together and to, like, deal with things. So they're just now, like, in the, I think... I'm not sure even if these are all out yet, but they're just starting to put out like the Old Testament as in in Hebrew, as informed by the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm. So I mean, they're just starting to do stuff like that, mm-hmm. and so, um, so, I mean, you can imagine. And there really were very there were basically no scriptural changes to the Old Testament based on the mm-hmm. Dead Sea Scrolls, which all base at 200 BC, which is like. Cool. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but, but kind of what you're saying is like, oh, we just discovered this. Oh, is this going to get us closer? This should verify or, mm-hmm. oh, that was confusing. Oh, look. Oh, maybe this changed because some translator didn't make sense. Somebody copying the manuscript didn't make sense or something. Mm-hmm. So we are increasingly finding more and more things. So pretty much anything in the last 50 years, 100 years is going to be better than the King James Version, for instance, which the the manuscripts it was using were only 500 years old, where now we're using even New Testament things that were within 100, 200 years, 300 years of after Jesus died. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like we're we're using older texts continually um, than than what they've used mm-hmm. in the past. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Anything else you guys would want to say before we close out the episode? I think something. Um, something that comes to mind for me is like why 
you know, why are we talking about this? Like, but like, why are we spending so much time on, on like Bible translations? And one thing that occurs to me is like, there's this level of like, we can talk about the Bible as like this book or document, but we actually as believers believe that it's like God speaking to us. Yeah. And so wh- why do I say that? It's like the, the, being careful, we, we, we don't want to, as faithful believers who are seeking to know the Lord, who are seeking to know God's will, God's love for us, we have to understand it as he said it, mm-hmm. not as how we want it to be heard right. and not as how uh, another person has uh, told it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we're talking about it. We want to know what he has said, mm-hmm. not a machination or some imagining of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and one thing that I do think is really amazing about biblical scholarship um, is something that I think uh, Christian just mentioned. It's like the Bible with the new things that we are finding from like thousands of years ago, it shows that there is a deep, deep, deeply rooted faithfulness in transferring the the texts from century to century to century mm-hmm. like they're hey we found this old text and guess what it's the same as the other old text that we have yeah and a lot of people have disputed the bible based like oh well it's probably changed over time it's like no you like monks would literally sit down write one letter at a time and if they made one error they would throw the entire page away Mm -hmm. they wouldn't scribble it out like we do now and then just keep (laughs) going they're like nope this is useless Mm -hmm. i have to start again the irish god bless the irish like after they were converted they spent so much of their time like restoring and maintaining much of the knowledge that we have of even like uh, uh secular philosophy but they were like hey we need to maintain they spent so much of their time just maintaining the manuscripts that they had, mm-hmm. copying them down faithfully, meticulously, because they were like, this is the word of God and it needs to be protected, and I am its protector. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's why we're talking about it. Praise the Lord. It's important. That's why we talk about things. It's good. All right, we will end there. Christian and Nathan, thanks for joining me today. As always, feel free to email us with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com or talk to one of us in person. Have a great week, and remember, comparing multiple translations of the Bible is really important for understanding God's Word. <laughs>